Hey, kids ages 3 to pre-K can head down with uh, Mrs. Gilmartin, the Holy Cross Kids Worship. The rest of you, if you have a Bible with you, you can turn into the book of 1 John. If you don't have a Bible, it's in, the text is in your order of worship. If you don't own a Bible, there's some on the back table. Grab them. Uh, I'm sure it's been talked about this morning a little bit. Uh, I know Jeremy mentioned in his prayer, um, today's a big day for our church, if you're visiting with us. There are about 50 or so people that are not here, that are normally here, and that's because uh, it was our first preview service in Fishersville. I just came from there. Um, it, was, it was great. It was great. It was weird, but it was great, and we're, we're uh, excited about it. Um, about, I don't know, 40 or so adults, and between 15, or 15 and 20 kids were there, some who are normally here on Sunday morning, some who aren't. Just new people at a preview service. It's fantastic. Uh, living things grow. Growing things multiply. Um, if you're new to Holy Cross, uh, this is not abnormal for us. In fact, it's going to be normal. It's what God's called us to. To be a part of a movement of the gospel, not just about making this congregation big and great, but about seeing the gospel spread to every corner of our community. Uh, and this morning, that included Fishersville. Uh, which isn't to say there aren't gospel-preaching churches in Fishersville, but that there are not enough. It needed at least one more, probably several, to reach the uh, almost, if not more than 4,000 people who say they have no connection to faith whatsoever in that community. So we're rejoicing this morning with that. And um, if that's, I know that's hard because it's a mixed bag, like Jeremy mentioned. Some of us are here, and it's really hard for us because uh, we have friends. As a matter of fact, I expected to come in this morning and to have this entire section empty. Right, because most of those folks sit right there, and um, and they're not here. They are they send their greetings, um, and we are still in partnership, and this is still we're still in this together. Uh, but I know it's hard, and it is mixed. Um, but by faith, we we praise God that uh, the gospel is going forward. So, um, if if you've been with us over the the last several weeks, as we've been in First John, uh, I've said this a ton, but it's important to remember. John is writing to a group of Christians, to a church, that is troubled. That uh, is troubled by people saying that these Christians, this church, doesn't have the whole truth. That, um, that in fact, there's, there's further knowledge beyond the gospel that they need. And this knowledge, so-called, is actually contradicting what they had originally heard. That what they originally heard, they're saying that's not enough and that's not really good. What you need is something else. And though it's contradicting what they heard, it sounds plausible. I mean, it sounds spiritual. And so maybe, maybe that's right. They're troubled. And they're looking for wisdom to know what is true and what isn't. As John is writing to help them, to help them do that, to find out what is true, what isn't, to give them assurance of their Christian faith. Today, we hit that topic in particular. How can you be assured of your faith? If you're a Christian here this morning, how can you know how can you have assurance that this is actually the truth, that this is actually the right thing? How can you be assured if you are a Christian uh, or if you're not? How can you be assured that you can have the smile of God? That's what John's tackling this morning. So uh, if, if you have your place in 1 John, we're in chapter 3. And is, as is our habit, if you'd stand um, in honor of God's word. We're going to be reading verses 19 through 24. This is God's word. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him 
For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us. By the spirit whom he has given us. It's God's word given so that we could flourish. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, would, you, would you work in us now? We don't have to call you into this place. You called us here. You've called us to worship. We've responded by confessing our sins, being reassured of the assurance that in the, of the pardon that's for us in Jesus. We have, we've proclaimed your glory because of that. We have sung it. We've delighted in it. We've heard your word, and now we need to hear your gospel Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I cannot do that. And Lord, if you are not active, all of my words will just be like a gong that's just going off, bouncing off of us. So Lord, would you move? Would you you work in all of us? Open our hearts to you. Open our eyes to see you and our ears to hear you and our minds to be able to understand your word. Lord, be near to us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. So we have this uh, phrase that goes around my house. Um, and it's actually, if you're kind of a, if you grew up in a church, especially in a higher church tradition, you could almost call it a litany, which is kind of a responsive thing that I do with my kids. It, it goes like this. I, I, I'll go up to one of them and I'll say, what have you got? And they respond with, your smile. I said, did you do anything to get it? I said, no. Do you, can you do anything to lose it? They say, no. I said, that's right. Now, there are a couple different times in which this litany, you'll hear this litany, sometimes just random. Sometimes they'll just walk up and it's random. The most common time that they get it, though, is in the middle of discipline. And the reason for that is because uh, kids, like adults, have periods in which it is hard for us to remember that our behavior does not determine our acceptance. Right? That, and especially for my kids, I want them to know fully and finally that no matter how angry they may make me, that that can never take away my love for them. And as Christians, we need that too, right? Because we often have times in which there is something that challenges in us the idea that our place in the heart of God is not determined by how good we're being, by how many times we've been to church, by how much we put in that basket as it came around, by by how much we read our Bible or pray, especially if you're uh, part of this church, that's probably something you think about a lot. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know that assurance is something we need. And it's also, quite frankly, one of the most outrageous things about the Christian faith. That you and I can actually have assurance before God. It's, it's one of the things that separates it from other religions. And it's one of the things that separates the true gospel, the authentic gospel, the, the biblical gospel, from its counterfeits. Which is why John brings it up here. John hits it hard here because, as, as the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, kind of the, our church's confession of faith, um, says, assurance is the birthright of every Christian. It is our birthright. 
And so we're going to look at this uh, passage in three ways this morning. Um, There's an outline in your bulletin if that's helpful. We're going to look at uh, the need for assurance, the basis of assurance, and then how to get it. How to get assurance. Okay? The need for it, the basis of it, and how to get it. That clear? All right. Let's get started with the need. Look down at verse 19 if you've got a Bible out in front of you. Uh, again, it's going to be good for you to, to do that so you know I'm not just making this up. All right? In verse 19, he says this. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Okay? Now, to understand this entire section, we need to reflect a little on what was said last week. Uh, Tim Frost, who's a pastor up in Covenant, came in and filled the pulpit for me last week. I'm grateful for that. He did a great job. But let's rem- be reminded of what John said last week. He said this. If you're not loving fellow Christians, right? if you're watching them in their need while you have plenty and you're just kind of going, hey... Be warm, well-fed. Uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, um, you know, when things are good, we'll hang out. If you can watch them without your heart breaking and desire to move forward to them in mercy, then he says, uh, God's love can't be abiding in you. Ouch. Now, here's the thing about that. As with everything else in this book, what John is giving us is not a method or uh, rules to keep to get us to God. What he's giving us is tests to undergo to see if we already are with him. Right? That John's motive and his methods are to say, say, if you already are known and know the Lord through faith alone in Jesus, here's what it produces in us. And if it hasn't produced this, maybe we need to wonder whether or not we're actually there. Okay? And this, this passage that we have, is another of those. But here's the problem with tests. Here's the problem with tests. And and this is true no matter where you are with Jesus, whether you're a Christian or not. Not everyone in this room is a Christian yet, okay? And so here's, here's the problem with every one of us. The gospel just doesn't seem true at times. There are things in our lives that press against it, whether that's um, because we're in we're in sin, like we've, we've just been walking away from the Lord for a long time, and so the gospel just doesn't seem true, whether that's because uh, just the normal ebb and flow of the Christian life, or, or, um, or whether it's because we ate something bad last night. I mean, you know this, sometimes you wake up and it's just like, I don't, I just feel bad about myself, and bad about, maybe none of this is true, Right? And so because the gospel just doesn't seem true at times, John gives us this. And the language here communicates that, but we can gloss over it. Because when he says, um, reassure our hearts before him, that phrase before him means in the presence of God. It means in in God's presence. But here's the problem. If the gospel isn't true, right? If If our acceptance by God is not by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, But through what we do, the presence of God is not a very comforting thing, is it? In fact, it's super intimidating. And you know what I mean, right? I mean, you know this even though some of us aren't sure what we think of God. Because we all know on some level there's something not right in us. Now, we deal with that in different ways, but but we all know that there's something not right. And and listen, if, if there is a God to whom we owe everything, we owe uh, our, our belief and our allegiance and our, and our love, and we owe him, we owe, you know, we owe him for the very breath in our lungs. We're accountable to him because he declares what's right and, and, and not us. Then we know we're in trouble. 
And that's why we deal with shame. And shame isn't a Christian issue, it's a human issue. Shame isn't a non-Christian issue, it's a human issue. And some of us deal with shame by hiding, and others deal with shame by performing, but we all deal with it in some way, shape, or form. And what shame tells us is there's a, a large pile of should in our lives. I should be like this, I should do this, I, I should have this, I should have more love for God, I should be, I should be more um, uh, passionate for Him, I, I should be more obedient to Him, I shouldn't, um, I shouldn't have a hard time coming to church, I, I should be better with my kids, with my spouse, my friends, my roommates. The Bible teaches us that. That's not just a, something that we deal with. It's actually something the Bible confirms. It teaches us that every one of us by nature is broken. That we're all sinful. Uh, not just some of us and not just the more extreme versions of us. But all of us in our nature. By our nature. By who we are. Not just what we do. Have betrayed God. And you and I, I think on our bad days, like to think of that as something arbitrary. Like breaking curfew. You know, like coming before God is like coming to the angry parent. Sitting on the stairs because you came home at 10 instead of at 9. And you're like, well, what's the big deal about 9 o'clock? Why is that so special? Right? It seems arbitrary. But, but instead, the Bible paints it not as coming to a... a, a a ticked-off parent for whom you broke an arbitrary rule, but coming to a scorned spouse before whom you just committed adultery. And that scorned spouse isn't just somebody who's just mad, but they've got all the power and all the authority in the universe. Right? Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, you know that the gospel speaks to this. And so you're like, yeah, yeah, Rick, but the gospel gets this. It's true, it does. It tells us that we could, the, the reason why we feel like we can't measure up is not a surprise to God because we never could. And he doesn't ask us to. And so Jesus came to measure up for us. It tells us that, that that work that Jesus did is not something we earn. It's a gift that's given to us that we have to receive. And it tells us that when we place our faith in Jesus, that not only is our sin taken from us, but we are given his righteousness, like clothed in his perfection before God. In other words, you can't kind of work harder to add to what Jesus has already done. And this is the amazing thing about Christianity, right? Because it's not about what we do. It's about what's been done for us and whether or not we'll actually receive it. But let's be honest. That seems way too easy, right? I mean, we know lots of people who try really hard in their religiosity and their religion. But here's the Christian gospel telling us, hey, it's not about how hard you try, it's about how willing you are to receive. You just need to open your hand and receive something. We're like, that's way, way too easy. And it is. Even worse, what if, what if, it's not just that it's too easy. What if we haven't actually believed it, like fully believed it? We go, I mean, I kind of get it up here, but do I really get it? Some of us are like troubled. We, have, we struggle with anxiety and we're troubled in our conscience a lot. Like, do it, did I really believe it? Am I believing it enough? If I just believe it enough, maybe it'll be true enough for me. Which is another way of saying this is too easy. I have to work really hard. See, if you're a Christian, you know as well as I do, there are times when we blow it. There are times when our eyes are opened to how needy and how broken we are and we find ourselves wondering, is Jesus still enough? Is he still enough for me? Can I truly be accepted when I'm this messed up? And John is saying that there are some things that help to persuade our hearts, to reassure us in his presence. And so if that is something that you are in need of this morning, if you're here and you're like, 
I, that is exactly where I am. I know what I've done. I know who I am. Is Jesus, can Jesus really be enough for me? Then I would say be encouraged because what you're dealing with this morning has been dealt with by Christians for 2,000 years. And this letter is proof of it because they needed it too. And so Christians have talked about assurance based on three things. And we're going to lay them out throughout the text as we hit them. Okay, How, how is a Christian to find assurance? And this text actually gives us all three, which is super convenient and really helpful for preaching. So uh, you can all thank God for that, and I will too. All right, But here, here's the first one we need to see is there in verse 20. Okay, It's the objective place of our assurance. John says this. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows everything. Okay? Now, let me lay out a couple things. First and foremost, John, even in saying this, is assuming something. He's assuming that doubt and the need for reassurance is normal for Christians. Let me say that again. John is assuming that you and I normally will need reassurance. That that's not weird And so part of the shame that comes with that pile of should that we deal with is, I shouldn't doubt. I shouldn't question God's love for me. I should be able to believe the gospel, because doesn't everybody really easily do that? And we reinforce that, don't we? Because when you come in through these doors, you have a smile on your face most of the time. And you're happy, and you're like, I'm praising Jesus, I'm raising my hands, everything's great. Which is a lie. Because some of us are in here, we're barely crawling in here by our fingernails. But I'm not allowed to say that because Christians shouldn't say that. John is saying you absolutely should be able to say that. That is normal. That is normal. It's normal for us to go, I don't have a whole lot of confidence in the presence of God right now. John says, okay, good. That's fine. That's the way things work. And you know this. You know this because I do too. Like there are times when we wake up and, like I said, our hearts are cold to God. Mine is at times. A lot, if I'm being honest with you. I don't care much for spiritual things. When that sin that I've dealt with my whole life that I've been able to turn away from seems really awesome to me and God doesn't. And it's in moments like this when my heart, my conscience begins to condemn me and it says you can't be a Christian and think like that. A real Christian wants to spend time with God. A real Christian finds it easier to love others. Right? You with me? So that's the first thing that John says this is normal. Second thing is what he says about God. He says that God is greater than our hearts and know everything. You see, when when we're in those moments, when we get those moments where we feel like there's something wrong with me that's not wrong with everyone else. I'm struggling with something that no one else struggles with. I must not, I wonder if I'm a Christian. What we want to do is hide, right? We want to hide. And humanity has been doing that ever since Adam and Eve thought a fig leaf would make good underwear. Like, we've been hiding for a long time. Some of us are experts at it. And if you've, if you've been around the block once or twice, you're probably really good at it. Because we know what it means to hide. But John says, God knows everything. God knows everything. Which means, he already knows what you've done, what you've thought, and how broken you are. Right? Psalm 139, one of the kind of more, more well-known psalms, if you've been a Christian for a while, one of the things that says that even if I were surrounded, cloaked in darkness, even the darkness would be as light to you, meaning God. Even, darkness doesn't even, it's not even dark to God. He's the Lord of darkness, like, and light. He's the Lord of everything. And so he looks at it, it's like, it's even, even that is light to you. I can't even hide in the dark. Now, if that's all he said, 
God knows everything? That's not exactly comforting, right? That would be terrifying. But he, he begins that sentence with, God is greater than our hearts. If our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. And here's what that means. John is saying the first place to go for assurance is not you. The first place to go is the promise of God in the gospel. Okay? Listen, because this is huge. The absolute center of Christian assurance is not how good you're doing or how bad you're doing. The absolute center of Christian assurance is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which does not change. It doesn't shift based on whether or not uh, you had a bad night or a bad morning. It is the same. The center of Christian assurance resides in the gospel. And so in the gospel, God has promised that if you have faith in Jesus, all of your sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven. They have been removed from you as far as east is from the west. In the gospel, God promises that if you have faith in Christ, you are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. Righteousness that you cannot add to or take away from because you never did anything to get it. And that the very Son of God himself pleads your case before the Father. The, the gospel is, is an objective ground of assurance. So as, as we're struggling in our faith, and we're struggling whether, you know, if you're a Christian and you're struggling wondering, is, the, is this enough? We have to return to the gospel. Can you out the cross of Jesus? And the answer is No. All of your sins, past, present, and future, have been dealt with. And if you're like, I don't know, man. I was really angry at that guy who cut me off in traffic this morning. I think I'm really bad. Like, are you serious? Paul killed dudes. Right? Matthew extorted people for a living. Abraham, the friend of God, tried to prostitute his wife, not once but twice, to save his skin. David, the man after God's own heart, committed adultery and had the dude who's who was the husband of the woman he committed adultery with, who also happened to be one of his bodyguards, killed. Yeah, you totally outsinned Jesus. Because he, he can't be enough for your road rage. He's just enough for those things. The gospel is the objective ground of assurance. Because what God says about us in the gospel is greater than what our own hearts say about us. Because God is greater than than our hearts. Your heart may say, if God knew what you are, he'd never save you. But the gospel comes and says, God purchased you with the precious blood of Jesus, and God does not get buyer's remorse. So the first of these grounds of assurance, the first thing that we look to for assurance is the objective promises of the gospel, there and there alone, okay? But let's continue, because uh, he gives us more. Uh, with, in this basis, he gives, us, gives it to us with the boldness of faith. Look down at verses 21 and 23. Now, if you're like me and you read this, what this sounds like, what this sounds an awful lot like the first time you hear it is, if your conscience is clear, you can have confidence before God, because when you do all that, you, but that God wants you to do, and you keep all his rules, then he does everything you want him to do. Right? You see that? We keep his commandments, do what pleases him, he gives us whatever we want. That sounds great, doesn't it? Uh, That's not what he's saying, though. And to get this, we need to remember what the problem is that he's addressing. Because when we hear this, we think, when my conscience is clear, God will love me and God will do what, uh, what I want him 
to do. Um, and, and we think that when our conscience is clear, what that means is we're behaving well. So then the logic goes that if you behave, God will hear your prayers and this will give you assurance. That's not even close to what it means. Remember, what he's talking about our hearts not telling us, or our hearts telling us, is not that, hey, you've been bad this week. It's that our hearts are telling us, God can't possibly love you. There's no hope for you. Jesus' work wasn't enough for you. It's, that, it's not that we're bad, but that we aren't Christians. And what John is saying here is that we can also find assurance in seeing ourselves grow in the gospel. Grow in obedience in the gospel. Now, I need to be really clear here, because John's really clear. Because what he says is, whatever we ask, we receive from him if we keep his commandments. And if we stop there, we're like, some of us are, are going to be honest and go, I am never getting anything from God. And others of us are going to go, great. There's type A's in the room. Awesome. All right, what's, what's the plan? How do I need to keep it? What do I need to do to get it done? All right, and I can do this, and God will give me what I want. But then he follows it right up with, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. So, what does this mean? Here's what this means. We can go to the gospel and see the promises of God. That is, that is part of getting assurance. We look to the promises of God. Another way is that we deduce from our growth in the gospel that God is at work in our lives. But only insofar as that obedience that we're seeing work out in our lives is rooted in the gospel. Here's what I mean. You can obey God in a way that is displeasing to him. Right? The Apostle Paul, one of the early Christian leaders, wrote in one of his letters in Galatians, in fact, where the problem was just this, like obeying rules and, and all this stuff. And he said, you, the law is good if you use it lawfully, which is weird. Like, what does that mean? I, I have to use the law lawfully. It means there's a way you can use it unlawfully. And so if your obedience to God is based on economics, I do this so that he'll do this for me, then it is also based on independence, I do this so God will love me. I can do, work this hard and then he's going he's to do good things for me. I'm going to use him to get what I really want. If your obedience is to gain a name before God, to gain a record, to, to make yourself right before him, to get his smile, God calls that economic independence and sin. If our obedience to God is not rooted in what we've already received from him in the gospel, then it's sin. It's seeking to be apart from him. And I know that, look, I know that ticks off some of us type A's in the room because we're like, wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. But I do things, I've always worked hard for everything I've gotten. Not this. Mm, not this. Because our problem is not good versus bad. The Bible says our problem is independent versus dependent. Are we going to be independent of God in our morality, in our record? Or in our seeking satisfaction? Or are we going to be dependent on him? I come to Jesus, he gives me everything I need. And everything I do from there is thankfulness. Let me say that again. If you are, if you are obeying God to get God to do something for you or to give something to you, that is not obedience that pleases God. That is sin. So you can deduce, yes, I am growing, I, I am seeing what's happening in my life, I am growing, I am growing in my obedience to God, so long as that obedience stems from the gospel, not in place of it. 
We'll hit that again in a second. So let's move on. Because thirdly, uh, the last way that we can find find assurance is in faithful relationship. Look at verse 24. He says, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Okay? So if we place our faith in Jesus, believe in the name of Jesus as God's Savior, as his rescue plan, then we abide in God and he in us. Now, some of you have been present as we've gone through this book, and you know this because we've hit this a bunch. John uses this word abide a ton. And not just in this letter. If you look in his gospel, he, the, Jesus says it a lot, and, and they're always recorded by John. It seems to be something that John kind of clung to when he heard Jesus. And in fact, if we understand what the language is about, we understand why John clung to it. Because it's about relationship. It's relational language. And you know, John, if you read John's gospel, and they're all eating the Last Supper, John's the one who's like snuggled up to Jesus. He's like, man, I just got to stay close to you. This is relational language. This is one of the hallmarks of Christian faith. Christian faith is not about the rules you keep. It's about relationship restored. And in particular, this is speaking about the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so this is huge. So listen close. The Christian faith is not just about your sins being forgiven. And if I might be so bold, it's not even primarily about your sins being forgiven. The forgiveness of sins in the Christian faith is a means to an end. The end is reconciliation with God. Restored relationship with God, because that's what we were made for. What's in the way of that? Our sins. So Jesus comes to to, uh, bear the guilt that we have earned. He bears the judgment that we earned on the cross. He reconciles us to God, removes our sins so that we're reconciled to God. So uh, when we place our faith in Jesus, we are united to him via uh, the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that you're in a Presbyterian church, and in Presbyterian churches, you're not supposed to talk about the Holy Spirit. Like that's that's like our our thing. Like we we apparently have a have a have a um, words escaping me. We we people tend to think that we are down on the Holy Spirit, which is silly, but okay, that's fine. Uh, that's just that's our reputation, so we just got to live with it. However, that is not true. Okay, so here's the thing: the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All three God, all three one God in three persons. One what, three who's. You've heard me say that before. Now, here's the crazy thing. The Holy Spirit, as the third person of the Trinity, dwells in Christians. Think about that for a minute. If you're a Christian here in this room, God the Holy Spirit, eternal, unchangeable, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, dwells in you. Made his home in you, sanctifies you, gifts you for ministry, enables faith, gives you faith in Christ, holds you to him, and, and this is John's particular point, assures you of your salvation. Okay? So, we find assurance through the promise of the gospel. The second way is through seeing fruit in our lives growing out of the gospel. The third way we have assurance is through the testimony of the Holy Spirit. The, the Apostle Paul, again, that, that early Christian leader said it, said it this way in um, one of his letters. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've re- received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So here's what this means. You and I can doubt the gospel promises. 
right? We can doubt that the gospel is really that true. We can, we can examine ourselves in our growth in the gospel and find that we fall short. But the Spirit of God does not make mistakes. In the end, our assurance is supernatural. It is based on the proclamation of the Spirit of God to us, who says to us that, in fact, we are children of God because of the work of Christ. Okay? Now, that's all well and good. That's good information, but so what? All right? I want to look, I want to try and speak in a more applied manner in two ways. Okay? Some of us have this assurance and others of us do not. So let's talk about how to get it really quick. Okay? First, I want to talk about locating your trust. Listen to me. You will never have assurance before God if you're looking to your ability to give it to you. You will never have assurance before God if, if your faith is in your own ability. Think with me. If your confidence before God is in how awesome you are, and some of you are pretty awesome, don't get me wrong, but if your confidence is in how awesome you are, how can you ever have assurance? I mean, what happens if you ever stop being awesome? What happens if your awesomeness diminishes just a little? How much awesomeness is necessary for God to be grateful to have you? Right? How much of that awesomeness is there? See, this is why assurance is so outrageous to religious people. Religious types hate the idea of assurance. Because religious people are basing their hope on their own morality. They're basing their hope on their own rule-keeping, their religiosity, how much church attendance they have, how many times they make it to doing the right things, make it to small group, say the right things in group, pray enough, read the Bible enough, know enough theology. Religious people hate the idea of assurance because their faith is in what they do. But when you do that, some of us, some of us do, even though you don't want to admit it to anyone, you never know if you've done enough. That's why some of us are so threatened when we see others doing so well. Because when others seem to do, be doing well, and they're doing better than us, it condemns us. Because they're here now, and we're here, and so we, we don't know what to do. And again, some of us are like, okay, I'm just going to try harder, and I'm going to try to get up there. But most of us, if we're being honest, what we do is we try and knock that person down. That's the easier way to do it. Right? That's the whole bear thing. That God's a... Being right with God is like outrunning the bear. You don't have to outrun the bear. You outrun the guy next to you. So if I can trip this guy, I'm good. The gospel, though, tells us that our hope cannot be in our efforts. It is all in the finished work of Jesus. And that phrase, finished work of Jesus, is important. Because Jesus, if he was telling the truth on the cross, when he cried out, it is finished then what that means is that if you place your faith in Jesus, that is what is cried over you. All that you need is finished so you can rest. The ground of our assurance as Christians is not in our good behavior, our presence in church, our morality, whether that's traditional morality or the more progressive type, or whatever it is. It is in Jesus and in Jesus alone. The reason that we can have assurance as Christians is that we don't look to ourselves. We look to Jesus. And we know that his death is enough to answer for our guilt, the guilt that would have sent us to hell. It would have. I know that's offensive to some of us, but it would have. And his life is enough to be all the righteousness we ever need. 
So lastly, let me talk about seeing faith, because the other parts of this seeking for assurance is is that assurance is found in more deductive ways, okay? Uh, and, and it would be easy for you to hear what I just said and think that what I'm about to say contradicts what I just said. Because if assurance is all based on Jesus, but then we can find assurance based in how we're growing, then that seems to contradict it. But that's because we get things mixed up. Because John is talking about uh, growing in grace. He's talking about growing in the gospel, okay? I said it a couple weeks ago, but I'll, let me remind us of something. Jesus' work does not just remove sin's penalty from us. It does that, right? Guilt, hell, it removes that. Jesus bore that, but it also delivers us not just from sin's penalty, it delivers us from sin's power. And one day, when he returns, it will deliver us from sin's presence. But right now, in the here and now, it delivers us from sin's power. And what that means is that we can change. In fact, it means we should expect that our lives will change. And so if we aren't seeing change in our lives, if we're seeing the same patterns that were present before we were Christians, continuing long after we say that we've become Christians, and that we're not even wanting to want to change, then what John is telling us is that we need to begin asking the question, did you really believe in the first place? Maybe you have but maybe you haven't. Growth in the gospel is not optional. It's also not meritorious. It doesn't get you anything from God. It is still a gift that God gives you. So, if you're struggling with greed, and I know none of us do, be clear, we're Americans. We're not greedy, right? Right. Okay, if you're struggling with greed... And you don't even find yourself wanting to want to change. You don't even find yourself wanting to want to grow in your generosity. Then you need to ask the question of whether you're trusting in Jesus. Because it seems like you're trusting in your money. Hoping that your money will save you, will satisfy you, will make your life matter. But, if you are seeing change, and I'm not talking about like you go one day from being Ebenezer Scrooge to being like the 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 the. Well, like Ebenezer Scrooge at the end of Christmas Carol, right? Where he goes like from like, I'm keeping all my money to buy the goose and buy this and everyone's getting presents now. Like, I mean, like sometimes that change is clawing by inches on your fingernails to get further because change is not simple. It's just a gift. If you are seeing that kind of change, can I tell you that didn't come from you? That didn't come because you're getting your life in order. It is because the powerful work of Jesus has been unleashed in your life by the Spirit of God. Now, that brings me to the the, the last thing, the testimony of the Spirit. We've dealt with the promise in the Gospel. We've dealt with looking for uh, self-examination, looking for growth in our own lives, and now the, the testimony of the Spirit. How does that work, right? Basically, it's this. Can I tell you something crazy? You can believe all of the propositions of the gospel and not be a Christian. You can believe God is true and righteous and just. I am sinful and broken before God without hope, save in his sovereign mercy. Jesus alone saves sinners. I have to have faith in Christ to receive the salvation that's mine by grace. You can believe all of those things 
faithfully confess the, Nicene, the, Nicene, or the Apostles' Creed that we do here and not be a Christian. Because being a Christian isn't about believing propositions. It's about believing not just that Christ died, but that Christ died for me. Not just that, not just that people are sinful and without hope, but that I am sinful and without hope. Not just that Jesus died to save sinners, but that Jesus died to save me. Not just, that, not just that God offers salvation by faith through grace, or by grace through faith alone, but that, that he offers it to me. And that the smile of God is not just present because of all of these things, but that God smiles upon me through the gospel. That is the testimony of the Spirit of God. That is the supernatural work of God in us that declares that we are children of God. How do we know that? Because when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are God's rescue plan. You are everything that I need. Jesus looked at him and he said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't figure that out. You didn't figure it out. God showed you that. That came from my Father who's in heaven. Because you couldn't have gotten there on your own. That is the testimony of the Spirit. And so if you are here this morning, and you are convinced that not only is the gospel true, but that it is true for you. That this love of God is directed not just at humanity, but it's directed like a laser beam right where you are right now. In all of your mess, <laughs> this is from the Spirit of God. And that is true assurance. Now, does that mean that if we have assurance, we won't have doubts? No. No. Like I said, John is telling us this because this is normative. It doesn't mean that if you're a Christian and have assurance, you should never doubt. But it does mean that when those doubts come, as those doubts loom, the person and work of Jesus rises up and overshadows them all. Would you pray with me? God, in the midst of this, we ask your grace. Some of us in this room need assurance because uh, we have been fooled into thinking that your love is dependent on us. Others of us need assurance because we, we've never even heard the gospel before, and this is the first time. And so, Lord, wherever we're at in our walk with Jesus, or maybe it's just we need thankfulness in our hearts again for the fact that we just never seem to doubt that your love is not just for humanity, but for us, for me. That the work of Christ was not just for sinners, but for me. Wherever we are, we pray that you would enable us by, by your Spirit to praise you, to rejoice with you, to have faith if we haven't, to return again to the gospel if we've been confused and to be unleashed into this community and to all Stanton as those uh, telling others where they might find this outrageous assurance. We ask all this in the mighty name of our Savior. Amen.